1: For the second year in a row, FC Barcelona were knocked out of the Champions League after taking the lead in the first leg. With La Liga already won, the weekend match with Getafe was barely worth watching despite the two-goal win, and FC Barcelona B suffered a two-goal loss to Hercules in Segunda B. First news. Luis Suarez has finished his season for Barcelona early, having gone in for arthroscopic surgery on his right knee last week to treat a medial meniscus injury. It'll take four to six weeks for him to recover, and the Uruguayan says he will be ready for the Copa America, which begins on June 16th for Uruguay, two days after the tournament opens. Suarez scored 25 goals in 49 matches this season for Barcelona, including a hat trick in El Clásico last October. He is second in scoring only to Leo Messi. The kickoff time for the final match day of La Liga has been moved to 8 p.m. Central European time. The original 6.30 kickoff time overlaps with the UEFA Women's Champions League final, which begins at 6, a final in which Barcelona are competing for the first time. La Liga regulations stipulate that all games on the final match day should kick off at the same time, and at Barcelona's request, the league have agreed to move all kickoff times in La Liga. After a Champions League exit that left Barcelona fans in a state of utter disappointment and disbelief, there's been a lot of talk of manager Ernesto Valverde leaving the club. The club have not commented on this, and Valverde said in his Saturday press conference ahead of the Hatafe match that he had spoken to club president Josep Bartomeu, and he felt backed by the club. None of this has stopped gamblers from placing bets on who might replace Valverde. Reporting for Sport... Ivan San Antonio cites Sam Rossbottom, a spokesman for online gambling platform Betfair, as saying that Ronald Koeman, former Barcelona player and current manager of the Dutch national team, is the current front runner in a race that has yet to begin. And former Barcelona defender Luca Dina topped the player rating charts for Everton at whoscored.com going into the final match day with Tottenham. He's also been voted Player of the Year by the Everton fans. Dina's magic number at the moment is four, having scored four goals, made four assists, and won man of the match four times this season. More on that in a moment. All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York, and joining me from Madrid, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga.
0: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How you doing,
1: buddy? I'm doing well. Do you know that every time you say that, I dance a little bit? Yes, I do a little shoulder shimmy. That's the beauty of the video uh, phone conference. You know, we can see each other. So because you speak it in rhythm, so I can't help but move. (laughs) Before we went on the air, I was just mentioning how I, for some reason, this morning, have "Zombie" by the Cranberries stuck in my head. So I think I'm I'm ready to kind of do that, do a mid '90s shuffle. You know, yeah, a kind of like (laughs) Lollapalooza style dancing, not dancing, apathetic teen dance. And also the four coffees you had. I did have four coffees already. <laughs> Guess what? I'm gonna make more later. No. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Well, sort of. I don't know. I'm feeling yeah. jacked. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily the healthiest situation, but you know, it's been a rough <laughs> week. Yeah, we've had we've had a lot of peaks and valleys this week already.
0: I mean, we've recorded a bunch of times. I feel like when we were putting this together. Um, you know, we want to kind of make it different from the other episodes we've recorded, but it's been obviously a crazy week with the Champions League, but also just the emotions and the seven steps that we've been going through to accept our grievance, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think we're still working on it. we are uh, yeah. I don't think we've fully reached acceptance yet. No. But but we're working on it. We're getting there. I think I'm at least past – I don't know. I'm on the tail end of bargaining maybe Nah, I'm yeah. still definitely in bargaining, and that, yeah. that, that will come up more <laughs> throughout the episode <laughs> when we talk about uh, the potential future of Valverde, as, yeah. as far as we know. But to start off with, we uh, we actually mentioned this in the news segment about L- Lucas Dina and yeah. how he's currently the top-rated player for Everton – on whoscored.com. He's had he's had four men of the match performances at Everton, and he's had a really good year. So, you know, good for him. Meanwhile, we're stuck with only one actual left back at Barcelona, so that's what we want to talk about.
0: Yeah, we want to talk about it because we want to, A, have more rest for Jordi Alba, and B, also just give him some competition. You know, as we talked about the Liverpool match, Jordi Alba had one of the worst performances of his career, I would say. And I don't know how much it led to you know, physical exhaustion. Um, But, you know, he played over, you know, 4,200 minutes so far this season. And again, he's starting again today against Hitafe. So there is just no rest for the
1: weary for Jordi Alba. Yeah. There's no rest for the squirrel. Yeah. (laughs) Because we don't have a proper backup for him. We don't have anyone who is a left back specialist, right? All we have is scabs. Exactly.
0: And everyone, you know, is on Twitter trying to get the next, you know, sexy signing, you know, especially like with Delict and forwards. But this is an absolute necessity that we need to address. And it's unfortunate because I thought Lucas Digne, you know, from my recollection, you know, he wasn't all that bad when he was at Barcelona. I mean, he had a couple of spot starts. Obviously, there's going to be a drop off from him and Jordi Alba. But as you can see, with a lot of playing time, there is potential there was potential for Lucas Dignes to eventually take over for Alba I mean just look at his stats Brian I mean it's pretty impressive and it's not that far off from what Alba does uh, on a statistical performance right walk me through those stats all right so the first thing you know games played uh, Lucas has played
1: 39 compared to Jordi Alba's 58 (laughs) just imagine if they were on the same team they could they could split some of that work a little bit Exactly. Or just, you know, at least have Lucas Digna do a third of it. Right. Right. You know, just a third. And yeah. It doesn't have to be half and half.
0: Yeah. It doesn't have to be half and half. Um, again, the yeah. minutes comparison, we have Lucas Dignat at 2,966 to Alba's 4,278, oh. which I think, I mean, again, like we talked before all season, I mean, it leads the team with total minutes played. Um, you know, uh, if we talk about goals, you know, Lucas Dignat has four goals this season and four assists where Jordi Alba has three goals and obviously 13 assists. So, you know, obviously Alba is definitely more into the attack and also doing those um, cutback passes as he always does. So his assists is a little bit higher, obviously not a little bit, a lot higher than, than Lucas. But these other stats, Brian, if we look at the shots per game, key passes per game, interceptions per game, they're basically the same. So, I, you know, my premise is if he would have stayed on this season, I think, I don't think he would have had such a great year, obviously, but I think that Alba could have been preserved better. And I also think just giving some competition to Alba as well.
1: Yeah, because uh, as one of our listeners brought up, uh, you know, you just, you kind of need, and it's really standard practice in most sporting teams to have, you know, at least two players for each position so that there's at least a little bit of competition between them and they can drive and motivate each other. Exactly.
0: And and that you know, we talk about that at every position you have to have a backup. You know, I mean, even the lower tier teams have backups. It's unacceptable for me to think that we don't have I mean imagine if, if Jordi Alba got hurt in February. We would or have been, March. We would have had a horrible season. Exactly. It would have been disastrous because then all of a sudden you're plugging in someone from the B team and all of a sudden they're playing these huge matches. Again, and, you know, obviously, Valverde, I don't think, would have given that confidence or coached them up. I mean, this is always part of the coach's job is development of players, even though they're not your favorite players. You still have to uh, think about the long term, possible injuries, possible rest, this type of idea. And it's basically impossible for Alba. Again, he's playing again today at Hitafe or against
1: Hitafe. Right. And he really doesn't need to. He doesn't. Well, no, he does. Because he's the only left back we have. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that, I mean,
0: so for me, that's an important signing this summer. We need to get someone that's going to kind of push Alba, you know, obviously be serviceable enough to not have such a huge, you know, not such a huge gap between 20-year-old B player and Alba. You know, we just need someone there to just give some minutes and just do a third of the payload next season.
1: Yeah, and I have another stat for you to compare these guys with. Uh, The stat is five years. That's yeah. the age difference between these guys. Jordi Alba is thirty, which mm-hmm. you know, when you're a left back or a full back of any sort, especially a wing back like like Jordi Alba, you hit you hit thirty and your body starts to reject you. Yeah, your, I I can <laughs> I speak from experience. Your body your body starts telling you things like no. <laughs> Even if you're in an elite an elite athlete, you know, it it'll, it'll hit d- different people different ways. And honestly, I don't think it's hit Jordi Alba too hard. Not nearly as bad as it hit Marcelo, for example. But sure. Lucas Digne is in the prime of his life. He's yeah. he's 25. He's right in that I mean, he's he's never going to be 25 again. Yeah. He's right in that golden zone where he's mature but he's probably at what I mean just on average would be the height of his his fitness yeah so that's another thing if we had both of them we would just have so many more options uh we would have the experience we would have the youth we would and when when Dina was playing last season for us you noticed that i believe i remember alba being injured for a little while and mm-hmm. alba or Dina had to play a few games in a row and by the second third game in a row he was starting to do a whole lot better so that was sure. the main thing, is that he needed a little bit of consistency in his appearances to develop. And that's one thing that he wasn't going to get here.
0: Yeah, that is true. And But, you know, again, the other thing, too, is, you know, as we always talk about with the team, there's just so many matches, so many minutes to divide up. So, yes, he wouldn't have got the experience in the playing time that he does in Everton. But, you know, again, I just I always thought that he wasn't that bad. And to get rid of him and not have a plan B for him, you know, for that left back was You know, again, I just think we ran Alba into the ground again. And I don't know how much you can equate the physical exhaustion of the season to that poor performance. But I definitely think it lends to something. I mean, I would rather always take out that doubt, you know, when we're looking at performances. um, Because, again, I just think, you know, again, with the Suarez thing, I think all these players can be managed better. And then when you have to, you know, go into the tank to get everything you need out of that performance for this one match, you can dig deep and have it. But when you're running this whole season, like Alba has with so many minutes, you're running on empty.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: The other thing I want to talk about with, with Lucas is that he had such a great year this year that Tottenham
1: uh,
0: are looking to sign him for this season on a transfer fee. So
1: can we get him back?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No, that reminds me. Uh, So one thought I had was like you said, you didn't think he was too bad. And Normally, that's not something you want to say about a Barcelona player, but I think in this context, I would say he, at his worst, he didn't look much worse than Samedo when he was still finding his feet at Barcelona, and sure. look at Samedo now. Sure. So, sure.
0: yeah, I mean, again, with you can just see, you know, like we talked about, you know, I texted you this the other day because after we were talking about the left back situation, uh, he was voted Everton's Player of the Year, and I just was, I was flipping out. I was just flipping out about it because I just you know, we had that in our, in our stockpile and we just kind of gave it away for nothing, you know, and we didn't find a replacement. So again, I really hope that is uh priority number one for them this offseason for Barcelona to sign a left back.
1: Yeah. And I actually couldn't find a source for that claim that he was Everton's player of the year. Where, where did you? Oh, find sorry. Him? It was, he was voted by the fans as the player of the year. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. Uh, yeah. in ca- I'm just saying in case anyone out there goes to to check us on that, that's That's how you could find that. So it was a fan vote. Yeah, it
0: was from the Everton fans. They voted him the player of the year. That's
1: really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to get. uh, I would imagine that if you're an Everton fan, you might be a little bit predisposed to vote for not a French person. Yeah. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving the, the Everton fans enough credit. And if that's the case, I do apologize anyway. Wish we had you back, Lucas. (laughs) Best of luck. Yeah. Barca B played Hercules in the second-to-last match day of the Segunda B season, and they lost 2-0. With only one match left in the season and no hopes of reaching the promotion playoff, they will spend next year in Segunda B again. Here with a full report on the B team is Max
2: Blewer. So it wasn't a to be. A tuna loss at home to Hercules means that Barca Bay definitely will not be competing in the playoffs to Segunda this year. Denied Ricky Puig and Abel Ruiz, both of whom were off the first team, for whom Abel made his debut as a second-half substitute, Barca Bay conceded a couple of first-half goals in quick succession and never recovered from there. Still, over the course of a fine season, Garcia Pimienta has moulded his boys into men, and they will undoubtedly come back next year stronger, better and ready for another tilt at of promotion. Off the pitch and we begin beginning to get a clear idea of where some of Barca Bay's brightest stars will be playing their football next year. It speaks to how well the season has gone in terms of development, but speculation abounds regarding several members of the squad playing in the first or second divisions of Spanish football next year, even though Barca Bay haven't achieved promotion. Twinkle-toed Ricky Puig is clearly holding out hope for a spot in the first-team squad next year, but one thing he definitely won't be doing is going out on loan, as he told a big-time Spanish YouTuber that hace frío fuera de Barca. It's cold away from Barça. So while things are looking rosy for Ricky, the situation is not the same for another young Spaniard, for whom the club had high hopes at the beginning of the season. Juan Miranda, who let's not forget began the year as Jordi Alba's backup at left back, has been ostracised from the first team by Valverde ever since his dodgy game against Cultural Leonesa in the Copa del Rey back in October. Since then, Miranda has barely trained with the first team, when the likes of Ricky Puig, Abad and Musa Wage have done so regularly. Nor has he been included in the first-team squads for the end-of-season games against Huesca, Celta and Atafe, that those three have featured him. According to Mundo Deportivo, Miranda will not be short of offers this summer, with Juve, Ajax and Betis, his hometown club, all said to be interested. There is hope for Miranda at Barca yet, though. If we assume that Valverde will be off at the end of the season, and after the debacle at Anfield, surely he will be, Barca's next manager may well see Miranda's true potential, at least more than Valverde has done and Miranda might see more first-team involvement next year. Although having said that, it is widely assumed that Mark Cucurella will return to the Camp after a successful year away at Eibar, and whether he stays and fights for a place at left-back, or is sold on for a profit, will go a long way to determining where Juan is playing his football next season. Behind Miranda and the rest of the back four, and the goalkeeping position has been in a state of flux for Barca Bay for much of the season. One fit, and when not with the first team, Iñaki Peña has been the man with the gloves. But even he has only made 19 appearances this year, just over half of the total. Lazar Sarovic has appeared six times between the sticks, and Joaquin Etchieta ten. Yet despite being second choice this year, Etchieta may find himself moving onwards and upwards this summer, with Athletic Bilbao said to have a deal in place to bring in to San Mames this year. Basque newspaper El Correo are reporting that the plan is for Etchieta to do pre-season with the Basque Giants first team, before the club decides whether to keep in and have him alternate between the B team and the first team as third choice, or to send him out on loan to a Segunda team. While it's a shame to lose Joaquin, as he clearly has the potential to make it in Primera. Athletic wouldn't have him up otherwise. It's not like Lamassier is short in the goalkeeping department. Iñaki Pena has developed splendidly this year, in particular with his penalties saving heroics. We always knew he was good at this. He once saved six penalties in a single shootout as a 14 year old. But his three penalty saves this season have brought the team crucial points in the fight for a playoff place. He's been so good, in fact, that we might lead him to the first team when Chillerson goes, in which case, no problem as Lazar Sarovic has been excellent when called upon this year, while 17-year-old Arno Tenas has already trained several times with the first team this season and is very much another one to keep an eye on. Staying with next season, but looking at arrivals rather than departures, and two of the most promising call or under-18s, have signed new long-term contracts in recent days. Ilaish Moriba, a 16-year-old midfielder born in Guinea but eligible to represent Spain, has committed himself to the club after speculation that he might be off to join Pep Guardiola at Man City. Catalan newspaper Sport reckon that Moriba's salary will be above that of many players in Primera. Quiet state of affairs for a 16-year-old. Hopefully, such newfound riches don't go to his head. I shudder to think what I would have done age 16 and earning tens of thousands of euros every week. Another African player with Spanish citizenship, Ansel Fati, has also renewed his contract in recent days. Like Moriba, he will also be on the big bucks and the plan is for the two of them to take part in the B-team's pre-season, before the club decides whether to incorporate them into the B-team on a permanent basis, or have them play one more year with the under-19s. At just 16 years old, the pair of them, there's certainly no rush. Another player who will almost certainly be taking part in Barca preseason pre-season in a couple of months is Ludovic Reis. This Dutch midfielder will sign from Groningen and will go straight into the B-team squad, with eyes on promotion to the first team, following a similar path that has been set out for Musa Wage. Mundo Deportivo even reckon they will go on to the first team's pre-season tour of Japan. And so, although Barca have one game left to play, their season is effectively over. Although they haven't achieved the ultimate goal of promotion, several players have made their debuts for the first team, and many more have trained with Leo Messi and co. Ultimately, B-team football isn't about trophies or promotions. It's about grooming players for the first team. And as Ricky Pooj, Musa Wage and others can attest to, that's just what Barca have managed this year.
1: That was Max Bloor. Get your Barca Talk merchandise on our Etsy store. We have a bunch of T-shirt designs, notebooks, uh, and of course, we have our beautiful Barca Talk coffee mug. Of the T-shirts, our bestseller is the "We Have Messi, You Don't" T-shirt. And I, I got to say, this uh, this loss at Liverpool really, really hurt our T-shirt sales. Yeah, it did. everything was going yeah. really well on Monday, and yeah. then <laughs> and then it all dried up on Tuesday. But that's uh that's to be expected i wouldn't want to i'm not really in the mood to to get to get any merchandise right now myself if i'm honest but if you're at all interested check out our merchandise there's a link in the show notes or you can just go to barsatalk.net to find the etsy store and now for the barsatalk guard of honor this week we're honoring baji in north little rock arkansas he's been a patron for only two months and a part of the discussion on patreon Thanks, Baji, for your comments and your support. Enjoy your pasillo. Patreon is a monthly membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get financial support for their work. And right now, if you support this podcast on Patreon, you'll be entered in a drawing for a Barcelona jersey. It's $5 a month or more if you want – you can cancel any time, so if you just want to sign up for May to enter the drawing and then cancel, you can do that. Patrons get a bonus episode every Thursday and commercial-free episodes of the regular podcast on Mondays. Follow the link in our show notes to Patreon, support the show, and you might win a jersey. All right, let's do this. Let's get into it. The Champions League semifinal, second leg at Anfield. We were up three goals from the first leg at the Comp No, and Liverpool scored four goals on us and kept their sheet clean, uh, moving on to the Champions League final. And uh, again, congratulations to Liverpool. Played a great match. Played a great tie, honestly. And frankly, this match can be summarized in five words. Man of the match, Origi. This young man has made a total of 19 appearances for Liverpool's first team this season, playing only 577 minutes only getting to play a full 90 against Watford in the Premier League and Wolves in the FA Cup prior to putting in 85 minutes in this match. In all of his minutes, he's scored six goals. Two of those were in this game. So from the perspective of Origi, it was the game of his career up to this point and a deserved man-of-the-match performance. Meanwhile, we had Leo Messi. Luis Suarez, not to mention other great players, but just those two, you've got 55 goals and 20 man-of-the-match performances between them. But on this day, Origi was the man. He was, and when we were preparing this,
0: I, I was making, you know, I made a comment about it because, you know, we were trying to think of a different angle to come up with this episode to talk about the summary of this match because we did the emotional response on Tuesday night, but reviewing, again, the statistics, it's just amazing to me that, Origi was the man of the match with two goals. I mean, you can't deny his performance. Klopp instilled confidence and he had to use everyone on the bench and everyone was there to fight.
1: And fight hard. Correct. Correct. Yeah. One thing I read, I guess he said to the press that uh, in his team talk prior to the match, he said, you know, this is an impossible situation, but if anyone could do it, I think, I think it's you guys.
0: Yeah. That's a good,
1: like right there. That's a good team talk.
0: I mean, the thing, too, is like Liverpool had nothing to lose. Again, as we always talk about in these comeback matches, if you can score within the first 15 to 20 minutes, it brings an avalanche of momentum for you because the home crowd is still into it. You get the goal, you feed the crowd, and that's exactly what happened in this match.
1: Yeah, seven minutes in. Got a goal on a botched back pass from Alba. Yeah. The mental lapse of that was,
0: was crazy. I remember just seeing the play develop, Brian, I I just screamed, no, (laughs) because you could just see the Liverpool guys pounce on that and they were able to get a goal off of that. So, yeah, I mean, again, as we documented earlier, you know, Alba had one of the worst performances of his career in this match when we needed him just to be a solid B, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, so I want to be clear. I love Jordi Alba. I know you love Jordi Alba, so and we know how great he is, but this was objectively his worst game. Yeah. <laughs> in I mean, recent memory at
0: least. Exactly. I mean the thing is just be he he just had to be solid on defense and just make good decisions. But he you know, his mistakes led to two goals.
1: All right. Well, your first talking point is about the formation and the style.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we I've been
1: reading so much, uh, You know,
0: from the press here about the style. And again, you know, we come up with the motto this season with we Color football. And I have to give one of our listeners, Charlie Barca, credit for this line. I I told him it was a Hall of Fame tweet. I'm pretty sure it was his. So I'm just I'm hoping it was. Uh, But he tweeted, we color football beige.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm looking right at it. I'm looking at the text. And even even then, when I hear you say it, I have to laugh.
0: I mean, it's true. I mean, this, this is one of the things is that, you know, we've talked about how conservative, how pragmatic Valverde has been since he came here. And I think this is one of the issues that we've had, especially in these big matches where, especially in this match, where we just look as though we're just walking through the park. We don't have the emotion. We're not aggressive. All these things add to the style of football you know Brian we talk about you talk about how you love or fell in love with Barcelona was one of the things was the style of play and recently especially the last three years or so we just don't have that style anymore and we've been going away from that and I understand in one aspect you're trying to be defensive you're trying to crowd the midfield with this 4-4-2 that Valverde chose but again he chose the wrong players and he put them in the wrong position right Starting with who? So, for example, you know, if, you're, if I tell you, let's do a 4-4-2, I'd say, great. But we need to have possession. So why is Vidal there? When I think of possession, Vidal is not anywhere on that radar. Right. You know? He
1: has other qualities, but possession isn't, isn't among his, uh, strong, his strongest strengths. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And the other thing, too, is, you know, the Messi quandary, right? If you are on a 4-4-2, are you going to put Messi in the midfield or as a striker duo with Suarez? Now I have here, I probably would have used them in the midfield, especially with the pressing of Liverpool. Because I think you would have added something. But been in a 4-4-2 is like a diamond shape. So it's almost like a hybrid 4-3-3 type of thing, where Messi's at the top, Artur on the left, Rakitic on the right, and Busquets behind that. Yeah. I think that would have worked really well. That would have been really solid. You have the possession. We have the creativity. You have the hard work from Rakitic. So you have a, a really good balance. But the idea of having Rakitic... Inside, having Vidal in this midfield and then having Coutinho, who did nothing, it's we were completely out outmanned and outclassed in the midfield, even though we had four and they only had
1: three. Yeah. And so who would you put up top as the two?
0: So I was thinking, you know, obviously Suarez or Malcolm or even Suarez and Sergio Roberto. I mean, someone you just need. some. I mean, you really just need someone just to work or even Coutinho up with Suarez. Just have him work and split the area. But what was happening in this match was it was almost as a 4-1-1, you know, where you had Messi behind Suarez and then Suarez was all by himself. And obviously we, now we just learned that Suarez was basically playing with one leg. <laughs> so Right. You again, mean like a 4 what like 4 one, four, one? No 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 they were they were playing basically you know instead of a 442 sorry 442 it was almost like a 4411 Oh I see yeah 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 You see what I'm saying So, so it's all
1: just kind of in one straight line it doesn't exactly, spread things out Exactly
0: Exactly exactly and Suarez was all by himself and Messi was behind him trying to string the connection to Suarez right but as we saw Suarez was playing with one leg he wasn't doing enough and Messi didn't have help and it was easy for Liverpool to defend that throughout the match
1: Yeah I don't know why why Messi hasn't been played in essentially like if it were FIFA, what would be a central, a -A CAM position exactly more often, you know, because you put him there, you have link up with the midfield or, you know, the defensive part of the midfield, you have playmaking and you have potential scoring. It seems like an ideal position for him. Exactly.
0: I mean, we've been talking about this. What do you want Messi to be? Do you want him to be a midfield or do you want him to be a right wing attacking forward? You have to make those decisions, you know. And I'm fine with using a four four two. I think we can still utilize, but we can use different players and it's going to maximize our possession and also give us more attacking opportunities. But I just think in a four four two, you have to have Messi in the midfield. And you need to have someone else pair up with Suarez so that gives the defense two forwards to think about, not just one. And especially one on one bad leg.
1: Yeah, exactly. And because speaking of possession, if you want a midfield that's going to have possession, Messi is also a big part of that. Correct.
0: I mean, that's the other thing. Could you imagine him linking up with Artur in that section, you know, just keeping the ball? And then all of a sudden, when Messi has the ball, he also has another two options in front of him, not just one. Then all of a sudden, that opens up the attack. And now Liverpool has to
1: think more about the counters. Exactly. And I'm also wondering, like, if you place Messi a little bit further back, than he sometimes is and mm-hmm. you put him in that center attacking midfield role is that gonna stretch the lines of the de- the defense and midfield on the other side as well so that the forwards will might then also have a little bit more space
0: exactly that's the thing you know especially when you have two forwards up there two true forwards up there they're supposed to take the left and the right side so all of a sudden now the center backs are split Essentially, you know, and then all of a sudden you have Messi driving up the middle as a, as a CAM, then all of a sudden that creates a lot of opportunities in passing because now, as we've always talked about, we haven't had anyone on the right side. But if you're playing with a true two forward system up front and you have someone on the right and the defense can't cheat in, now Messi can go left or right. He has Suarez to play off of. Then you can have Alba and the left, you know, Arturo overlapping as well. So all of a sudden you have a lot of options and still being in a 4 4 2 conservative and, and running the midfield.
1: Right, exactly. It's best of both worlds. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, check it out, Ernie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is already getting me upset.
1: All right, well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this other aspect of it, which is that, you know, in big tournaments, and these knockout-style tournaments, as you get to the later stages, it's small things. Yeah. Right, because it's it, it really becomes more and more a game of inches. So what are your thoughts on tiny details that that wound up having a big impact.
0: Sure. I mean, as we've talked about, this this tournament is just a separate animal, you know, especially with the home and away leg. You're only playing two matches. Anything can happen. Your, your main mantra should always be survive in advance in this Champions League format, and then until you get to the finals. Again, it was interesting because the day after, all these details start to come out about Klopp's small details, and the biggest thing was the ball boys. Yeah. So, So basically... Klopp found that on the restarts and on corner kicks, we took our time to defend and to mark up. Now, I don't know if this is a result of just the attitude of just being, we're Barcelona, and so they're never going to try something on us, this type of, you know, we're a top tier team, this type of idea you know, we're the favorites, obviously we're Goliath, you know, this type of idea. So Klopp basically found this and he told all the ball boys that whenever there's a restart or a corner kick to throw the ball immediately to Liverpool player to get it started. And obviously it resulted in the final goal for Liverpool that got them passed. And again, you have to give all those credit to Klopp to see that in the video and to go forward. And that's that, you know, that changed, <laughs> that changed the season for Barcelona and that changed the victory for, for Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this: When was the last time Valverde did something imaginative, creative, where he, where you maybe think that, oh wow, he found that
1: small detail? Um, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't think.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me let me kind of give you this. You know, remember we started doing the short corner kicks with Pep because. We had really talented midfielders who can work it around, and we were basically trying to get another opportunity to, to keep possession and attack, right, because we were shorter. Now with the short corner, as I've talked to you, I don't like it because I, I think it's – we don't really take advantage of those opportunities. Before we were recording, I was watching the Brighton-Manchester City match, and Brighton went up one nothing on this scramble corner kick, essentially – Corner kicks are the worst to defend. And especially in these last 15 minutes of this match when we were trying to chase the goal on these corner kicks, we just A, we take bad corner kicks. We're never imaginative also with free kicks. And those are kind of the small details I'll talk about because, yes, obviously Messi is great at taking those free kicks, but when it's far away or he's unable to shoot it, we need to come up with something. Or Valverde needs to find something else in these small details where we can get an advantage and maybe get a goal and steal a goal from him from Liverpool or anyone. Yeah, so what do you, do you
1: have any ideas?
0: Well, I'm just saying just, you know, do more corner kicks, but actually put them in there, but, you know, do plays where you have people coming from the front, crossing around. I mean, the whole time, you know, we're just trying to get it to PK. Right. (laughs) Essentially, you know, we're hoping to get PK, you know, and, you know, you see these other teams, especially teams that are not talented. They're going to to always take advantage of these corner kicks because they know it's a great opportunity to get a goal. And so imagine if we were just a little bit more imaginative with with set plays, you know, where the two guys dive into the left and the guy curls around the right. And then you try to work on those type of things. We never do that. And again, those type of plays come in handy, especially when you're tying a match, trying to tie a match in the last 10 minutes of a Champions League.
1: OK, so next season, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I want you to come up with a new corner kick set play every week and Fine. and recommend it to uh, whoever's managing, yeah. maybe Valverde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but OK, so what about player management and substitutions? Remember, we talked about you know when we got the lineup, we made
0: no changes, and to me, this was walking right into Klopp's advantage because, as we saw in the first leg, even though we won three nothing, we got worked. I mean, we got worked. Uh, we never had re- good possession. We were under duress the whole time, and the fact that Valverde didn't really make an adjustment to this was very worrying going into the match. And of course, as we found out on Thursday, Brian, that Suarez got surgery on his meniscus.
1: Yeah, he's got a knee injury, and really seems like he's been dealing with that for quite some time.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you know, Brian, do you know what really helps with a meniscus injury?
1: Uh, Not playing every single game?
0: Correct. Rest. (laughs) Watch the game again, and watch Suarez's movement. He definitely looks like he got shot up, so he was able to perform for the first half, but you can't continually get shot up, and also... In the second half of the game, it's just going to wear out, and your performance just slides. And that's exactly what happened to Suarez. He got that one shot on, even though it was a weak shot. He looked active. But do you know how easy it is to defend Suarez when he's not moving?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty it's easy very, to defend anybody it, when they're not moving. Exactly, exactly. Even so I can you do it. That,
0: yeah, and, and remember, the formation was Suarez... And Messi behind him. There was nobody to the left and nobody to the right. So for Liverpool defending that, that was super easy.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Messi was, you know, how many times did Messi try to take on the four defenders? Now it makes sense because he knew Suarez was playing with one leg essentially. Yeah. But this is the thing I understand that Suarez was probably saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. Sure. And that's great. But the thing is, I'm going to help him out to manage and maximize a performance. You know, give him one game off or take him on the 80th minute. And you would, I guarantee you would have seen a better performances in the last two months, giving him some breaks, you know, and he got nothing. Remember how many matches has he played the full 90? Most of them. Most of them. Yeah, exactly. Most of them. exactly. No, I mean, you're the
1: manager. You have to be the adult in the room who says, I appreciate your commitment and your desire. But yeah, but here's what we need. Exactly. We need exactly. you. To, we need you to rest.
0: So I don't know if there is a miscommunication between the board telling him that he can't not play the the communication with the medical staff, you know, all those different things, because again, for me, this is really egregious that all of a sudden two days later, he gets a meniscus injury and he's trying to do this so he can play for Copa America. Right. You know, and again, to me, I think it could have been alleviated drastically if he would have got rest throughout the whole season. Now, Brian, you know, when we were talking this, this week, I was like, ah, I'm not really in the market for a, a forward. <laughs> I'm in the market for a forward now. Yeah, you are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should be in the market for for a forward. Yeah, because
0: last time we were talking I said, "Yeah, maybe we can get a year and a half from Suarez." Uh, I don't I don't know about that anymore.
1: Well, after this surgery, you know, he might feel a lot better than he's felt in years. Yeah, but that's difficult, man, because the
0: meniscus is not I mean, basically what they're going to be putting in there is uh, like a padding, essentially, but it's not the best. And that type of surgery is very difficult to recover from because it's basically your two bones are touching when you're running. And can't
1: forget, he's also 30-plus now Exactly the way he plays, so physically, so aggressively. But what about Coutinho? Okay, like, you know, let me start this off. We were – over the last day or so, uh, we were accused of being too harsh on Coutinho. And I just want to say, we, yes, we've said a lot of harsh things about Coutinho. We've also said a number of supportive things. And I just want to set my record straight and summarize. Coutinho is a great player. I recognize that. We paid a lot of money for him. He started off well, and we had high hopes for him this season. And he has not delivered on them. We know he has great potential, but he hasn't been delivering on it this year. And that is a problem. We want him to do better, but he's not doing better. Exactly.
0: But the thing is, it's okay to be critical of him. I don't understand why everyone wants to be with kid gloves with Coutinho. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, he wasn't, he is a standout player. Like you said, he has potential. But the thing is, it would be different if he only had five games of opportunities, and he wasn't doing anything. But he's played the whole season and has really not done anything compared to what he did the beginning of last season. In this match against Liverpool, we needed. 20% more from him and who knows what that was going to, have to do for the team, but he absolutely did nothing again in this match. We, when he's in the midfield, it's essentially as we're playing one man down, right? That's how it feels.
1: And to be honest, I mean, with the possible exception of Messi, we needed just 10% more from everybody. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, yeah. we're not trying to put it all on him. I mean, it's really, no, it really no. all comes down to Valverde and his, his choices. But you know, as far as the 11 that he did put on the field, we would have benefited from just a little bit more, 10% more from, from everyone, including Coutinho.
0: And that's the thing. It's just, you know, we, we needed the Coutinho from the Brazil World Cup this past summer. We needed a flash. We needed something from him and we didn't get anything. So, Brian, I want to play a quick little game with you. Okay. Okay. So I was looking on who scored because I wanted to look at the stats of Coutinho. And when you automatically click on a player, it automatically highlights the goalkeeper from the other team. And what surprised me, Brian, was that the stats of Coutinho are very similar to Allison. (laughs) Okay. Which is not good. It's not how you would expect it. Correct. Because a field player is going to potentially have more touches, more opportunities than a goalkeeper. So I'm going to, I just picked a couple stats and I'm going to give you both numbers and you tell me which one got which. Okay. 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 So we'll start simple. Okay. We'll start simple. Five saves and zero saves uh allison got five saves okay good good okay
1: Whew. <laughs> zero corners or three corners <laughs> wait took the corners
0: yes oh okay
1: so allison took zero corners there you go okay. good, good. good. Okay. these so are sorry, these yeah. are the okay. easy ones
0: these are the easy ones okay yeah. all right here we go 78 percent pass success rate 74
1: pass success rate so this is this is definitely the second round where questions get harder, but the prizes get bigger. I'm gonna go ahead and say that Allison had the higher, what was it, possession? Uh, pass, success pass success rate. Pass success rate. I'm gonna say Alice, Allison had a higher pass success rate. Okay, it's actually continue. Oh, okay. continue okay, okay. How many strikes do Twenty- I get? <laughs> <laughs> get three. I get three strikes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: 23 total passes, 24 total passes.
1: Ooh. Uh, Coutinho had
0: 24 passes. There you go. 24 total passes. Okay, so you have one more. more. This is fun. Accurate passes, 17 or 18?
1: Coutinho had 17 accurate passes. You are
0: correct. Yes! Okay. Okay. Give you two more stats, okay? okay? Um, Possession. So this is basically when you get the ball, the percentage of how long you you do a possession, okay? Mm
1: -hmm. 2.6, 2.5. Coutinho, 2.5. Correct. Yes. You are correct. And just to give you a
0: kind of comparison, Busquets had an (laughs) 8.6. Sure. Okay? So just to kind of give you what that kind of possession statistic means, okay? The last one, 37 touches, 33 touches.
1: I'm going to say Coutinho had 37 touches. You are correct. You are correct. Nailed so, it. Good job. Good job. So as you can see,
0: the total statistics of Coutinho are, are comparable to the goalkeeper of the other team. And this just this can't be. I enjoyed
1: you know, that game, for- though, because it, it made me feel good about really bad news. <laughs> and you didn't win a prize,
0: unfortunately. You don't win a Barca talk mug or anything.
1: I already have one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm harsh on him because I want more and the idea that his numbers in the his impact in the match is equal to a goalkeeper um passing ability i mean this just this can't be we need more especially in this leg and he does not come up again so that's my premise for coutinho
1: right and again it's it's not all on him no but uh you know it comes again it comes back to the lineup the tactics the overall you know mood of the group but if we go back to the management choices on Valverde's part, he did not set up Coutinho for success. That is the one right. thing that I'm I'm not saying get rid of Coutinho, although if we stay, if we keep Valverde, we do need to get rid of Coutinho. Yeah. One of them needs to go because it it seems like Valverde doesn't understand how to set up Coutinho for success and there's some kind of, you know, inverse of that where Coutinho doesn't understand how to give Valverde what he wants or he's not able or something.
0: No, it's a good point. I mean, that's the thing. You know, if one of them stays, the other one has to go because I told you, Brian, so many times, To what do you want out of Coutinho? Do you want him to score goals? Do you want him to be a midfielder? I mean, that's what you have to ask him and decide. And then from there, you have to kind of just put the chess pieces together and see what the best fit is. But putting him on the left side as a midfielder that cannot possess the ball, especially in a moment of the match when we need it, is vitally important because that is in our Barca DNA, possession and movement. And he just does not do that well.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Imagine if he was in a 4 4 2 with Suarez and Suarez is on the right, Coutinho on the left, and you have Messi behind them supporting them. Maybe that gives him the kickstart because he only has to go straight and inside the middle. So you're limiting his options. He's more direct. He can shoot the ball. Maybe that is something he needs to do. But again, Valverde doesn't explore these options back in September and October because we were just winning.
1: Right. And that's fine. Right. You know? Yeah. And another thing that uh, apparently we need is a change in attitude. Yeah. Well,
0: let me ask you this, you know, remember last year against Roma, we were talking about this, that no one was there to wake anybody up, you know, to be emotional, to do this type of thing. Right. And we were hoping this year, especially with Messi's development as a captain, we were hoping that maybe Messi would take that step into doing that, maybe when the when when it's absolutely needed. But it didn't happen. Not PK, not Busquets, not Messi, not even Ter Stegen. Nobody. Yeah, and like not I remember stories
1: about. Remember the PSG remontada. Like I've heard stories about her. Ter Stegen was. Just like screaming at everyone. He was just an animal, yeah. like get, tr- firing up the team, like in a, you know, in a motivating way. Yeah, And I, I wasn't really seeing that in either last year against Roma or last week against Liverpool.
0: The other thing, too, is we didn't even see it with Vidal.
1: Yeah. Which I would have... Th- well, you know, which he, I he talks th- with, his, uh, with his karate. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even
0: with him, I would have thought there would have been some emotion. There would have been some, you know, cheese butt to like get everyone to get going, you know, but he didn't do it. None of but nobody. Yeah. And then obviously the worst culprit of all was Valverde sure. with his hands in his pocket, just walking around. Now here in, in Spain, Brian, this past week, a lot of that has been that talk of the attitude of the team. When the chips were down, nobody did something. And to me, that's one of the things that I had a really difficult time watching this match because I, when I used to play, there's moments you have to show fire and you have to just exhaust every resource. And to me, especially the last 35 minutes of this match, we did not look that. And that to me is the most disappointing because there is no turning back. There isn't another leg. There isn't another Hitafe. This is the match. You have to just exhaust everything. And to me, it didn't show that. And it just starts with the manager going all the way down. Oh, yeah. You know, when you watch the Ajax Tottenham game, Ajax. Stuck to their style. They pressed hard. They put everything on the field and they lost. But I can appreciate that if I were a true Ajax fan, you know, if I was a die, Ajax diehard, because they put, you could just see it when the final whistle came, players collapsed. Yeah. Right? Because of exhaustion, not because of the moment of like disappointment. Being embarrassed. Yeah, exactly. Not that it was, they were completely exhausted. That's why Tottenham was able to score that last goal because both teams were just trying to just dig deep for the last goal, the last minute. And for me, when I was watching the Barcelona match, especially the last six minutes of the match, I... I was so frustrated. I know everyone was as well as with the corner kick that no one did anything. No, one, you know, in this moment, Brian, when you are just trying to get that last goal, you just got to throw everything in the kitchen sink, crosses, shots. You're not going to get the most beautiful goal. You have to just scrap it. And they did nothing. How many shots did we have in the last six minutes? Maybe one. Yeah. Maybe one. But there are plenty
1: of moments when we could have taken shots and we didn't. Exactly.
0: And and the other thing, too, is just you wanted to see the complete exhaustion of our players if they had to play this style, but to, to, to demonstrate that, and they didn't. And that's another thing that was really hard for me to, to swallow because, you know, here, you know, in football, Brian, too, the players don't have to speak after the game. And to me, I think that needs to change because I want someone to be held accountable to be, you know, asked these questions. I, I'm just asking for something like in the NBA where they select one player after the game with the coach and they just do the questions from the press. That's all. I, I'm not saying they have to be – they can answer, say, no comment or whatever, but they just have to be – no one has answered any questions yet still.
1: Well, you know.
0: You think that's a good – you think that's okay?
1: You know, we're here – and I know that, like, you and I, we want we want more. We want to know more. The fans – everyone wants to know more. But I also don't think that right after the game is when you're going to get <laughs> the best responses. But they do it in every other sport. So? <laughs>
0: Yeah but the, yeah but the thing is I'm not saying I'm I'm just saying I want someone to answer the question and to this day so far no one has
1: answered the question. Well what yeah well I think I just want an explanation. I, I mean your basically You're not going to get a satisfactory the, one though. That's the thing. Yeah, know, you're but, never going to get a satisfactory answer. It sucked. And it's never going to not suck and nothing that anyone says is going to change that.
0: I understand but I just want someone to answer the questions to them. You know, because then you have no doubt about what's happening because the thing is, for example, for me, Messi should have talked after the match. Yeah, that w- that's the thing. Yeah. I just want him to say, look, we screwed up. We're sorry. And that's it. I'm not asking for this whole diatribe of like going through the whole analytical. Of we were in a four-four-two, and this didn't work. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying get in front of the camera. You are the captain. You are the, the the face of the franchise. Everything. Be a man. Get in front of the cameras and say, look, we sucked tonight. Liverpool was much better. Sorry. And then move on. I would have been perfectly fine as opposed to like today they were showing video of him in practice, being all sulking and and not talking to anybody. (laughs) I mean, come on, that doesn't, I understand you're upset, but I feel like it's, it, it doesn't give me satisfaction of like what's happening. I just want you to speak in front of the team, especially. You were the captain. You were over 30 years old. You're not a child anymore. Right. That's all I want. Okay.
1: You're bringing me around on this a little bit. Yeah. Just to, yeah. not necessarily accountability in, the, in terms of like, explain this. What happened? Yeah, but, no, ju- no, no, no. but at I, least I, just to say, like to stand up in front of the fans. Exactly. The fans on exactly. the TV and whoever and everywhere else and just say like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We sucked. I, don't I, know if you I heard can get Sergio, behind that. Yes. I would have liked that.
0: Okay. I don't know if you heard Sergio Busquets after the match. He was the only one that did an interview and his interview was as calm and as emotionless as I would have not wanted. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, he basically, and I understand maybe it's because Busquets has won so much. Maybe this team has won so much in the past 10 years, not only in the club, but also for Spain that to them, it doesn't feel as hurtful as it does for us, you know? And as I said, in some of my tweets this week, my main contention, especially with Champions League and why I really want to win more is because it is basically the only reason why Real Madrid has that leverage and talking points about who's the better club. And I know this is a really stupid topic they can talk about, but that is why I want more Champions Leagues, because then if we can close the gap, we, you know Real Madrid doesn't have anything over us, because in the last 30 years, we have dominated Real
1: Madrid. basically, Right. Except in that tournament. Except in that tournament. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think it's stupid. So- I think you're right on uh, right on track there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I just, I I want to see beautiful football again. Yeah. And that, I think, is really what the crux of the problem is, is that, you know, win or lose with Pep and Tito, um, you know, back in the days, you know, if we did lose champions, at least we played with our style. And, you know, maybe sometimes I didn't agree with that one match moment, but at least we still had a style. And, and to me, like watching this Hitafe match – You know, we used to beat these teams like 6-0 and probably tonight's going to be a 1-0 victory or something, you know? Yeah,
1: or we might even lose. But then again, looking at the lineup, it's, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But we'll, we'll talk about the Hitafe match in just a moment. You can support this podcast with our Amazon Marketplace. We have our own storefront there with products that we've curated and selected for you. And this week I've selected this item. It's a uh, 3D optical illusion nightlight. It's actually pretty neat. It's just the Barsa Crest, you know, in plastic or acrylic or something like that, illuminated by LEDs. And you have seven different color choices. So it's a pretty neat little thing. I will say this. There's a bit of a tone problem in the uh, product video. So remember, it's a nightlight. Right? But here's the music they use on the promotional video. It's like excessively epic. (laughs) Wait for it. Oh my god. (laughs) It's like I can't even with this thing. Uh, So it's even funnier when you, you see the visual that goes along with it. So... Check it out just for laughs. You don't have to buy it, obviously. But that's the thing I picked with this ludicrous video. What did you pick this week, Gabriel? Uh, I picked a La Liga Nike soccer ball. I mean, how are you going to play football without a ball? I have I have multiple soccer balls in my possession, and I still don't play. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to just show up to the field with no ball and hope that there will be a ball there.
0: Exactly. So... Might as well buy one from from our Amazon storefront. It's a La Liga official one, so really nice quality ball, and yeah. So I, you could definitely tell the difference between a nice ball and a plastic ball. This yeah. is a nice leather one, so it's got the La Liga emblem plus the Nike scudo. So it's it's a pretty nice ball. This is Obviously just be- about
1: what they actually use in La Liga. Correct, correct.
0: It's the official ball. So right yeah, on. I pl- I played with it before here, and it's super nice, super nice. There's
1: nothing like a good good soccer ball. Correct. It helps on the
0: headers. Oh, That's the biggest difference. Really? It's oh yeah. Less hard if on you, the head. Oh yeah. If you play with a plastic one, it's like a ton of bricks. But with a nice leather quality one, it's definitely a lot easier. And also uh, on your touch when you are dribbling and so forth, you can definitely notice the difference. It yeah. definitely responds a bit different.
1: Okay. Yeah, I might have to get one of those (laughs) and then maybe one day I'll play. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's talk about La Liga. Probably not in any great depth, but uh, this was La Liga match day 37 against Hitafe at the Camp Nou. Last home game of the season and Barcelona won 2-0. Let me just run down the lineup real quick. We had Sillison in goal, Pique, Umtiti, Sergio Roberto and Alba in defense a midfield of Busquets, Vidal, and Rakitic, and maybe Coutinho, depending upon how you were interpreting the tactics, and then Messi and Malcolm. So, Gabriel, my question for you is, what is the rationale for this lineup, particularly the midfield? Of course, Artur was out with a thigh injury he picked up in training, but we did have Alenia on the bench, and Samedo also on the bench with Sergio Roberto starting it right back. I, I mean... For one thing, it takes Suarez having surgery to give Malcolm a start, but at least he finally got it. But going back to the midfield, uh, Busquets, Vidal, Rakitic, which is Valverde's number one midfield choice. Why? Do, what's the rationale for this? Why does he make this decision for this inconsequential match? No idea. Mm. I have no clue. I mean,
0: I just can't get over his love affair with Vidal. Mm-hmm. And I And don't get me wrong, Vidal played well in this match. But I don't want to see him. <laughs> I don't want to see him start. He doesn't inspire me. I don't like the way he plays. I would rather see Alenia or Ricky Puj get the start.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, Ricky Puj was also on the bench. Exactly. And the
0: thing is, the tone of the match from the first 20 minutes, my gosh, just <laughs> just brutal. I mean, the thing is, I don't understand the rationale with this with this lineup again. As we talked about with the 4-4-2 against Liverpool, just put I know Artur is out injured, but Man, just the midfield just looked really vanilla. Didn't look like we wanted The only person that looked alive and into it was my boy, Malcolm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He He was the only one. When he does get his chances, he tries to make the most of them. Yeah. And I know
0: he didn't score, but he had some opportunities. But the thing is, it's all about the energy. He was the only one that was going after each ball. He was trying to infuse a little enthusiasm out there. But everyone was kind of zombie walking, especially after Hitafe got that first goal that was canceled by offsides, you know, after that, then Barcelona kind of woke up. But in that first kind of 25 minutes, we were just kind of going through the motions. Messi looked very sad.
1: Coutinho did a couple things, but again, I don't understand the midfield either, Ryan. Right. Well, I mean, the the whole energy level thing comes down to a couple of things. One, they know that there's no consequences uh, for the most part. And, with most of those players, as we've mentioned, a lot of them are extremely comfortable in their positions, whereas Malcolm is trying his best yeah. to fight for a spot to show his value and to make himself more valuable in Valverde's eyes. Whereas everyone else is just like, I could play this game well, I could not play this game well, and I'm still going to get a, get my starts.
0: Sure, sure. Like, for example, we talked about this Alba. Why is he starting? Like, give him a break. I know there's nobody else, but just slide tomato or Sergio Roberto. Make it right. interesting. We've done it you before. Know, this, yeah, this is this is your favorite time when you can do Frankenstein lineups.
1: Go Frankenstein. Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know?
1: I mean, you know, there are some other injury things. I think Todibo is still out on injury. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we didn't have Artur, don't have Dembele. But, yeah, you can you, – I mean, you could do a 3-4-3. A, a three, three. You could
0: – Yeah. Could. Go crazy.
1: Put Sergio Roberto at uh, center back, um, TT at center back, and PK at center back. Brian, <laughs> we, call, we call our football beige. Yes, we do. I this mean, This might have been the beigest match yet. Because at least but, last week, we had a bunch of youngsters. And, yeah. the, you know, they, they didn't look amazing because they had no chemistry. But that's understandable because they hardly ever played together. But they all wanted it. They were all trying, you know. Sure. But Elena, once he finally came on, he looked he looked good. He was going after it more. He's in a similar position to Malcolm.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's like we want the one time we want Valverde to paint the <laughs> wall a certain color, you know, fluorescent green or ocean blue or something, it's just beige again, you know? And yep. like you said, you know, like last week was a little bit more exciting because we saw Ricky Puj, Elena, Malcolm, we saw like a little bit more youth and energy. And that was exciting because, you know, we don't normally don't see those players against La Liga competition. And I thought this was another opportunity for that to take that. I mean, give PK a rest, give Alba a rest, put Long Lay and TT, let them work it out, you know, and put Samedo and Sergio Roberto. Who cares? Go right. crazy, just like you said. Do whatever.
1: Yeah. Because we still have plenty of time before the Copa del Rey final, which is the only match that we have to really worry about. And you know that Malcolm is going to be playing for the remainder of the season, of course, with Suarez out. So, you know, he's he's got to get minutes. Exactly. I mean, but again, with this midfield, I mean, where does the creativity come from? With that midfield, the only (laughs) place it can come from is maybe Busquets. But if you shut him down, you're left with. Well, no, I Vidal is a little bit creative at times. Okay, but but hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to count on it. I'm just saying it's it's true. Like you're telling me that having Ricky Puig instead of Vidal, you wouldn't have been more. Did I say that? Did I say that? I know. I know.
0: (laughs) I didn't say that. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. You know, just can you imagine if Ricky Puig is out there instead of Vidal, like just a little bit more? I think I
1: would have enjoyed it more. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So again, I. You know, I, he's so bland with these lineups, especially like, like let's have some fun, and it's just not fun.
1: Right? Yeah. It was again. Last week was way more fun, and it this was the same exact me, situation, man. right?
0: Yeah, this guy kills me, man. You, the one time you think he's going to zig right, it's left. You know? Yeah. Anyway, where, so did stay you see the uh, course?
1: Stay, stay the yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see Coutinho got hurt? Yep, Coutinho got hurt. Samedo came on for him. No, yep. Samedo came on for Malcolm. Abba Ruiz. So let's talk about yeah. Abel Ruiz because he's another youngster. He's probably trying to uh, impress Valverde or whoever. And I actually think he did pretty well. But yeah, Coutinho got hurt. So it didn't look too serious. But then again, you know, he was able to walk off on his own power. It wasn't sure. like a long protracted visit with the uh, physios. So it might have been more precautionary than emergent. Yeah, I mean...
0: Abel Riz coming in, I would have loved to have seen him get more time, even more than what he got, you know? Just, yeah, I mean, again, like we were talking before we started recording this, you know, for me, I was very uninspired to watch this match. The body language, you know, I'm a body language doctor. Right. Or.
1: We haven't brought uh, that up in a while, but yeah. Yeah, I know. You're a body language expert.
0: Yeah, it was really bad in the beginning of this match. And, you know, you could tell also the crowd, right? Nobody was in the crowd.
1: Oh, yeah, you could see all of the seats. Uh, You could see the Rakuten and the... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they were
0: still able to get the victory. I mean, uh, if you want to break down the first goal, um, you know, it was a nice play. You know how we were talking about set pieces? Yeah. (laughs) And... Look what happens when you throw a kitchen sink up there. you never know you get slop and a rebound and Vidal gets the goal.
1: yeah, I mean, a really nicely placed free kick from Messi off of pK's head. The goalkeeper saves it, and Vidal puts it in on the second second ball exactly the kind of thing that you that you can work on a exactly. free kick or corner kick situation.
0: I don't know if you know this, Brian, but you can also cross from the middle of the field like that when times are tough and you're in the last ten minutes of a Champions League semifinal. <laughs> Just to throw it out there. You can? Yeah. You don't, you don't always have to cross from the left or the right side wings. You know, there's other ways you can cross. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: And, I mean, just you saw the chaos that there is when you have 10 people in the box. I mean, it wasn't the most planned out goal. But, yeah, Vidal was able to be the junkyard dog in that situation and put a foot to it and, and get the lead of the one nothing lead.
1: Yeah. And then there was the second goal, which ultimately wound up being credited as an own goal because the defender, what's his name? dakunam wound up <laughs> uh being the one to, who actually put it in, but yeah. this was another uh I'm telling you man uh Sergio roberto you know again you you put him wherever and he'll do at least a pretty good job, and he's better up front than I think people give him credit for because he, no, he is he made this well, not you, you and I we both understand, but I think most people just forget about him as a a forward player. But he made this really nice run. He worked really well with Messi. He gave the final ball back to Messi when he probably could have shot. But he, he made the choice. And it was a really well-placed, thoughtful pass for Messi. And had it not been for the defender getting his foot to it, Messi certainly would have put it away. Sure. I mean, I
0: think, it, like you brought up, it's a very underrated skill that he has. His through balls in the last third are really nice. He's able to find those areas. I you know I would like to see him develop more a shot You know, from from the outside of the box, because I think that would be super valuable, almost like Rakitic does. You know how how many goals Rakitic has scored outside the box with some really important goals? I think if he adds that kind of dynamic to his game, I think he could definitely play in the midfield more and up front. Because like you said, I like, you know, obviously we've seen in the classical how he always can dive in. Uh, going into the middle, and he always finds some good passing lanes as well. And especially in this uh, last goal, he was able to find a really nice passing lane. He always has the right amount of weight on the pass. It's never too long, uh, which happens a lot. You know, a lot of people are – you run out of real estate, and you forget that the goalkeeper's coming out. Oftentimes Sergio Roberto does have some really nice weighted balls. And so that's how it find Weighted passes. Weighted through balls. Weighted through balls. Yeah. Right, yeah weighted <laughs> passes. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, in the we took only a few minutes really after the match was over before we started recording this section of the episode. And in those few minutes, it it occurred to me, I mean, okay, you know that I have a thing for Sergio Roberto. And if, you've, if anyone's been listening for a long time, you know that I have a thing for Sergio Roberto. And it just occurred to me that I wonder what would have happened had we gotten a better right back somewhere in one of those transfer windows, and not just Someto, but maybe another one as well, to allow Sergio Roberto to play in the midfield or in the forward lines more more frequently and how much better he would be in those positions now if he had had more minutes over the last season or two doing that because you put him up there and he does a pretty good job if if he were doing that more frequently because there was more coverage at the right back position I just feel I feel like his his potential is actually being a little bit squandered because as we know he's a a serviceable right back decent right back you know, he's good at reading the play, but he doesn't necessarily have the speed to go up against really fast teams. But even then, you know, he doesn't really belong there. That's not where he's at his best. And he's, he hasn't been used in the position where he's at his best. So I, I feel bad. I feel like his, his talent has been squandered. And now he's, he's, starting to, he's starting to get a little bit older. And I don't think yeah. he's ever going to really shine in those positions moving forward as he would have if he had been given more chances earlier on.
0: That's a good point. I think maybe in the Luis Enrique era, if you know, when he first started with the right back position and Luis Enrique actually got a real right back, then maybe the trajectory changes, but yeah. I mean, I I I've always thought that he's a better midfielder than a right back always, just because you know, he brings more aspects as a better midfielder than a right back, you know, as we've seen with Semedo. For me, I always want someone fast, right? That you just have to have the speed on the wings. To cover that unfortunately Roberto doesn't have that and also the other thing too is you know he was groomed as a midfielder and a lot right. of times I don't think he you're... ever played no any,
1: no fullback of any sort or de- defense of any sort at, in no. the youth squads or the b team or anything
0: and the other thing too is when you play midfield you know you have defenders behind you right so if someone beats you you chase the play but you just funnel them to the defender essentially yeah but when you're the last line it's a bit different, <laughs> Yeah. right? So, and I think that's part of the mentality. But again, Luis Enrique made a decision to use him in the right back. And that was outside the box thinking, right? But we haven't had anything like that since, you know, we haven't had other managers or other, you know, um, assistant coaches come up with this input. Again, I think our midfield is very flexible and adaptable to different formations and different styles. But as we've seen with EV, this, you know, for the last two years, he's very specific on what he wants. And he's very conservative and he won't explore those options. Now, I think those options, especially with Sergio Roberto, sorry, Sergio Roberto with with the with, let's say, plain wing or midfield more is Copa del Rey. And he does not get
1: those opportunities. No, nope. the inflexible and intractable Ernesto Valverde. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> beige. Yeah. color it beige. <laughs> Well, so all we have left in La Liga is uh, a way to Ibar, and uh, as I mentioned up at the top of the show, they moved the, they moved the start time a little bit later so that there isn't any overlap between that and the Women's Champions League final, which let's end this on a on an up note. <laughs> let's do it. where the women Barcelona is in the Women's Champions League final. So we made it to one Champions League final. It wasn't the yeah. one that most people were paying attention to, but it's still a huge landmark and milestone for the women's team. So, And I'm really glad that the league uh, accommodated the club's request to move the kickoff time so that there wasn't any conflict, no overlap. So now everyone can, all the Barcelona fans can watch their team in a Champions League final.
0: Yeah, that's a nice call from La Liga. Also, I don't know if you saw the uh, Copa de la Reina uh, Real Sociedad beat Atletico in an upset. So, Brian, anything is possible. Yeah. Because Leon are heavy, heavy favorites, but you're in a neutral ground. It's one match, 90 minutes. Anything can happen. Lika Martins can have a nice play, play some solid defense, and you can steal that trophy from Leon.
1: Yeah, just because they're the giants, the favorites, the powerhouse of women's football in Europe, it's a final. that That yeah. doesn't have to matter.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So that'll be exciting. I'll definitely watch. it. I know that some there'll be some watch parties in the U.S. watching this match as well, because just to support uh, the women as well.
1: Yeah. And I think I will probably um, have my own little watch party. It might be a one man watch party, but I don't know. I think at least Megan will come with me. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I'll invite one of our uh, patrons who is not from Buffalo, but is in Buffalo at the moment. Make sure to invite Landon out for that see if he's up for it and uh i'm yeah i'm looking forward to it it'll be it'll be a a bright spot something we can something we could focus on and celebrate definitely definitely so excited for that yeah oh yeah and of course there's the copa del rey final but that's not for another couple weeks so we'll uh maybe look a little bit more closely at that next episode (laughs) Thanks to Max Bluer this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Cabrio Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing by Brian Henderson, music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Support the show through Patreon, the Amazon Marketplace, and the Barca Talk merchandise store, all at BarcaTalk.net. Until next time, Bisca Barca. Sports
2: Social Podcast Network.